Yeah. Well, church scandals are always something. So this is uh, Bell Mead Sour Mash Bourbon. Planes have been flying really low. And then our cigars today are Davidoff's late hour. It's a nice um You'd be able to get cigars up to the police store. Yeah. You couldn't get Cuban cigars, could you? Couldn't bring them back, I don't think. Too glad you're not a diplomat. Yeah. Um, the flight will be leaving at, uh, I think, 11.45 at night. Oh, wow. When we get in, when we get into Jordan, it'll be uh, 10.40 in the evening, local. Wow, so you'll be flying for 24 hours. <clears throat> Essentially. We'll miss basically a whole day. Is that a um, direct flight? Yeah. Who are you flying with? Um, I don't even remember. Let's see. I think it's still recording. Turkish Airways. Uh, Turkish Airlines, I guess. So, I'm not getting a draw on this. Hmm. Let's try one more light. If it's not, we'll have to use the perfect draw. Davidoffs have a good uh, reputation, but you know, you never know. I'm beginning to think that's all based on how it's kept. A lot of times, I mean, you can have something that's packed too tight. You know, if there's if the, the people who are rolling it roll too tight, or it's got too much packed in there. Or how it's kept. Most of the time, most of the time, it is how it was kept. Because if it's too if it's too humid, it's going to be um, hard to get a draw on it. And if it's too if it's too dry, it's just gonna like crumble when you go to cut it. So we should start planning our trip to 
Pittsburgh. Yeah. So you're leaving, uh, whoops, you're leaving the 15th? I think the 16th. The 15th? I think the 16th. Or 16th. 16th? Yeah, I think. It's an anniversary. That's a Thursday. Ah, excuse me. One, two. Be back on the 14th? Yeah, I think so. Should we try to do something on the 16th then? Yeah. Try it. Does the draw get any better? Or does it need to be... I need to be... Ex excavated? Circumcised. Why we why I got the tool so that it can be used. This is kind of tight, isn't it? A little bit, but See, we can get this unplugged a little bit. Let's see if it got any better. Yeah, a little better. It's a very handy tool to have. Don't have to use it all the time, but sometimes. And that's a nice whiskey, by the way. Yeah. I think it was on sale. That makes it even better. Yeah. When they say on sale, it's like a dollar. Save a dollar, save two dollars. Yeah. You know, it's not like you're going to Costco. I don't know. I mean, problem with Costco is you have to buy in bulk. No, I mean, they have individual bottles of liquor. Oh, so yeah, that's right. Um, in places where you can buy liquor in, in the uh, in the store, in the grocery store. So they don't sell cigarettes. Some places there. even uh, you can even buy liquor in the gas station. Oh, like so, Texas, some places, right? yeah. <laughs> no, Texas has has uh, liquor stores. Oh, really? That's they're private, but there's they have oh, to they have to have a liquor license and. Oh, that's so so much for. And, and, the, and they're man, mandatory uh, closed on Sunday. Huh. I thought Texas was like stand for still hanging on to some of the blue laws. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I think um, the purpose of those blue laws, I think, is if you think about it. It does bring families together. I guess, but it also, it brings middle class families together. The guy who needs to take a second job on the weekends, he's kind of screwed. But in the back of the day, you didn't need to have two and a half jobs to make it. Certain people didn't need to have two jobs to make it. Lots of people did. 
nobody remembers those people. <clears throat> I guess all the history books are just I written guess. from the perspective of white guys. I, I, I guess I'm speaking from a privilege. Uh, I mean, from from a standpoint of white privilege, white middle class privilege. Yeah. There's plenty of poor white people too. <laughs> you know, the best way to get them out of poverty is to give them opportunities that they'll be able to find work and slowly but surely move out of the, the spot that they're in, but if you pull the rung, pull the bottom of the rung out, they're screwed. Well, it's one of the reasons, you know, minimum wage being a lot lower than it is is so important. And certainly not raising it to 15 bucks, because, yeah, the people who are making $12 now see their pay go up to 15 yeah, they... They might, some of them might benefit from it, but the people who can't even get a $12 an hour job right now, you think they're going to get a $15 an hour job? No. Well, you brought up an interesting point some time ago when we had a discussion about minimum wage. A lot of places don't start at minimum wage. Most people are not making minimum wage right now even though their employers could legally pay them that. Why don't they? Because they won't, they won't be able to attract employees, and certainly they wouldn't be able to attract the right kind of employees. It's, it's interesting, though, that um, they talk about the living wage. Which I think is getting more traction than minimum wage. I suppose, but even then, you have to wonder, like, according to who, according to what, if you mandate that every job pays you, say, 40 grand a year, a lot of these side gig jobs, part-time jobs, they go away. It's great for people who can get a 40, 40K a year job, right, but people who can't, well, they're screwed. People who had to work two, two, two different jobs in order to make extra money. Or people who took a second job to pay for a vacation or to, you know, sock money away for their kids' uh, college fund or, you know, retire early. Yeah. I think, uh... It's like California with their freelance regulations. They he did Proposition 20 or something like that. A judge, um... Prop something that... Did. I think didn't the judge kind of like put an injunction on it? As we talked about in the paper the other day. Well, they should. It was nonsense. <laughs> People. No, no. The the pop thing was uh, the pop thing was. Um, oh no, he supported it. I think that he supported. He said it was. To go, it was legal. It was constitutional. That's oh, so was. they they ratified it. They yeah, didn't, they didn't put an injunction. Okay. Yeah. 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 I mean, people who work a certain number of times for <coughs> their publications were going to have to be treated as full-time employees. Well, okay, but you know, what if I only have enough for one full-time employee? You know what I mean? Then those other guys are screwed. And people who weren't working to get benefits because they were getting benefits from their spouse's job. But you can always de decline taking benefits. 
Yeah, but the employer still has to offer. The employer would still have to offer them. It's between offering it and taking it. Right. But what I'm saying is, is that from the employer's perspective, if they can't afford to keep a certain number of people full-time, but they were freelancing these people, these people were making money, and now they're not. But I think there's certain protections that contract workers don't get. Yeah. But there's no... The, the, the recognition of the trade-off is that they have more flexibility, right? And they have a job when they otherwise wouldn't. It's not like these things are just fungible. It's that the employer is choosing not to put them full-time. employer doesn't have the funds to do it. A lot of these are like startup uh, publications and websites and stuff that just want to hire somebody. Or Uber or Lyft. Yeah. I think, I think, um, but they, they don't have, but as a contact worker, they don't have to pay you. They do have to pay you if you do the work that you agree, that you mutually agreed on. Well, Trump found a, uh, a way around it. I'm sure there are shitty people of all kinds, but there's plenty of people who have a regular, a regular W-2 type of job who get screwed out on wages all the time. I mean, how many stories you can look up online where somebody works for a restaurant or a store or whatever, they go to deposit their paycheck and it bounces, and then the employer shuttles the, shutters the business and is never seen from again. Well, yeah, I think we had an example of that with a company that your brother worked for. Yeah. He would, he would cash his check on Thursday and screw everybody else. <laughs> right. Which I don't understand why he didn't legally get in trouble for that. The, the, the thing is, is that you know, wage wage theft claims take a long time to matriculate through the system and a lot of times the complaints are dropped or the evidence isn't there or whatever and it's because it's it's not it's not like the police are gonna roll up in your in your business and haul you away in chains. No, but he could have gotten in trouble for writing fraudulent checks. Nobody even forces check fraud anymore. Oh I forgot how much money was in the account. You know what I mean? But you can establish a pattern. Yeah, you're going to do that for some small-time dude? Probably not. Oh, he's a small, he was a wannabe. Yeah. But I mean, you know. But that happens in, in regular jobs. So being a contractor isn't any inherently more risky. fact, maybe everybody should be a 1099 employee. You know what I mean? Because then you don't have to show up at certain hours. You just agree everything's going to be ad hoc. I'm not a, I'm not your employee. I'm just exchanging my hours of labor for X amount of money. I'll show up when I want to show up. I'll leave when I want to leave. Might work for some businesses. Yeah. Like Uber. Maybe, maybe if everybody was an LLC. You know? Why did you get rich on that one? 
Although uh, you could probably set your own LLC up. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, this kind of stuff could happen potentially. I think with um, the growth of the computers, if people working at home more, you could probably see that. Yeah. Which I feel sorry for the next generation because some of these jobs provide the first time entry into responsibility for some people. They're all not going to go away. I mean, it's just that certain jobs are going to do different things. I mean, we don't have anybody, you know, making wagon wheels anymore. People do something else. Yeah. I mean, what was the first job for a lot of, you know, a lot of kids back in the 40s and 50s, the soda jerk or whatever? How many soda jerks we have now? Well, that and also um, gas stations. Yeah. Plus, a lot of kids were working at, you know, 13, 14 years old. Now they're working now at 16 at the earliest, but more often, you know, 18, 19. Well, I think that's because a lot of people were taking advantage of these kids. No, I think it's more that parents feel that their time is more valuable, more valuable to be invested in school. Well, that too. You but know. then I think we go back to thinking about the working in the, 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 the cotton mills. Yeah. And the, the coal pack, the coal, coal mines. Uh-huh, what about it? A lot of kids were working in the coal mines, which was dangerous. Yeah, but nobody's working in the coal mines now. What parents going to let their kid work in a coal mine? If it was legal tomorrow, how many parents would do that? Very few. Are there some parents that would? I'm sure. And and you do see that in other like third world countries where the alternative to child labor is child prostitution. Or your kid starves. <clears throat> it's hard to argue with that point. You know, but 25 years from now, <coughs> kids won't be working. That won't be as commonplace. Yeah. You know, and then hopefully 100 to 200 years from now, it will be almost non-existent. Only the poorest of the poor places will ever have child labor. Or child so soldiers. Yeah, well, that's a fundamental breakdown of society when you have to have resort to kids carrying weapons. It's usually a case where the one or both of the parents are dead, and it's kill or be killed. Twelve years old, you got to join the join the, the the fight against whoever, or you're going to be ran ran over roughshod. We'll take care of you you take care of us. Yeah, not only that, but, you know, if you're in the war, if you're in a war zone, would you rather be an unarmed combatant or an armed combatant? You have a slightly higher chance of success, I think, if you're an armed combatant. Yeah. Well, Germany used uh, old men and young kids <laughs> yeah. for the end. Yeah, they didn't have a choice. They have a choice. Yeah, that was uh, 
I had a history professor in college who said that uh, there's no way Germany was going to win the war. Once they attacked Russia, it was over. It was, whether the United States got involved or not, whether Japan joined the fight against Russia or not, didn't matter. It was over. There's just no, the, the supply lines were too stretched. Well, they invaded too late to, to begin with. Well, he, he said even if they had invaded six weeks earlier, he, like, I, I asked him verbatim, I said, you know, there are people who say if they had invaded six weeks earlier, if they had gotten Japan, instead of Japan attacking the United States, if Japan had come come at Russia from the east, and he just he shook his head and said no. Well, Russia is too big a country. Well, and he, he, yeah, and he just said that it wouldn't have mattered. There was nothing Germany could have done to beat Russia in 1941. Once the decision to, make, to invade Russia was made, that was it. It was over. So he should have just stuck to his plan, which was take out uh, England. Yeah, well, he made the mistake that Saddam made in 1980. You know, he invaded Iran because he, he thought it was, it was weak. There was a lot of internal fighting. If I invade the the Arabs who live on the west uh, western part of Iran, just over the mountains, they'll join the fight. They'll welcome us. They'll, you know, all the stuff never happened. Well, that, I think that you know, someone once said that Hitler invaded Russia. He he invaded. I mean, he took it out on everybody. He, he had a natural ally. There's people who didn't like Stalin. Yeah. So but he killed, he killed them all. So he made enemies of people he probably would have been on. Well, he, was an, he was an ideologue. Unlike Napoleon, who was at he least did. strategic. Yeah, Napoleon was egotistical, but he was strategic. He, he figured out a way to fight these multi-ethnic empires and make sure that their commands were so in disarray and, and uh, you know, <clears throat> if you were fighting Russia and Austria and some of the officers in the Austrian army spoke Czech and some spoke German and in the Russian command they spoke Russian and some spoke Polish and some spoke, you know, Ukrainian and all this stuff. You just manage to create enough disarray between them. They're not going to act as one unit. They're going to kind of fall apart. And that's what they did. Yeah. yeah. Hitler, if Hitler had picked that, figured that out, he might have been more successful in Russia. Well, by by the time 1945 or 1940 rolled rolled, rolled around, they had kind of figured that ploy out. So you got to remember, in, in you know 1812 and 1813, or 1806, I guess, when the Napoleon was really successful, there was no telegram, telegraph wires. There was no phone lines. It was everything was written dispatches. So the dispatch gets, you got to translate it, then you got to write your own, then get that translated and send it back, and it's got to get translated again. So you had a unified command. Mm, yeah, so everybody was French. Which he he was he you know but he was strategic and, and understood it's just his his strategy he went to, went to the well too many times 
know? Which, yeah, when he went back the second time, they kind of caught on to it and they anticipated what was going to happen. Interesting. Yeah, that's why they always say the the, the short guys you got to watch out for. Well, it wasn't even that short. But he, <laughs> he went to Egypt, but he got it. Oh, yeah, he got his ass kicked. <clears throat> yeah. Was that the Egyptians that kicked him, or...? It was everything. I mean, very hard to keep yourself supplied back then without a powerful navy, which they didn't have. <laughs> That's why they say, you know, what is it, uh, commanders worry about, you know, commanders worry about strategy, Conquerors worry about logistics. Yeah. So, yeah. Pause for a second. Yep. What's funny? Basically, so they'd roll to see if your troops bleed in your message. Mm -hmm. Then you had a a, a a battle move. Then you had a, a move for retreat if you had to. Or I mean, it was like six die roll within one move. <coughs> wow! I was like, oh my god! <laughs> I think. We, we did it, we started at one and we ended up at five. Cause we played in a fraternity and fraternity, since we were freshmen, we had to be out of the house by five, five thirty. Uh -huh. So we did maybe three moves. Cause you had, we had six people playing. Mm. 
Oh, then there was a move of communication. You know, I rolled the dice, so if you roll the dice and you won, you basically communicate with another general on your side. It sounds overly complicated. Yeah, well, yeah. So, but it was it was it was a fun game. It was fun, but man, it was. Oh, then you had um, a roll for artillery support, and then a roll for see if you got it, and then a roll for if it landed, and the casualties it inflicted. Mm. It was pretty, you know, light this up. It's really. Do the secret with the match. Yeah, with the matchstick. Yeah. Well, you know that that artillery support is really key. I mean that. Supposedly that's what that's what won uh, Germany in uh, in the Franco-Prussian War. Oh, they were able to... They were able to mass... They were able to mass uh, artillery and they were able to do it better than the French because the French had outdated muzzle-loading cannons. Their infantry rifles were more advanced than the German rifles, but didn't matter if the artillery wasn't the, wasn't as advanced. It was Greek, Greek loaded. <laughs> yep. So interesting. Yep. Yeah. I was thinking about the uh, Afghan withdrawal. I was like, come on, guys. You can say that what's going to happen is going to happen. No, they knew it. They kept saying that of all the choices, and all the choices are bad choices, you made the best bad choice. Well, I mean, for, to start off with, the U.S. policy in Afghanistan has always been schizophrenic. In the 90s, they were very protective of the Taliban. Anytime that they were threatened, they... The Mujahideen. Well, the Mujahideen are a different group, but the Taliban regime, the U.S. was very supportive of. Just diplomatically, um, you know, when, when Iran... Because they were fighting against the Russians. No, I mean, this was after. This was in the 90s. They just felt that they were more... They were going to be able to keep the country more stable and more predictable. There's a, a lot of argument to be made in international policy that bad stability is better than chaotic, I suppose, you know. Um, you know when, when Iran, I guess this was in 98, there was uh, an incident where the Afghans stormed the, uh, the embassy, the Iranian embassy, and uh, gave the diplomats there the 
Dr. Najib treatment. Uh, you know, executed them, strung them up, all that stuff. And so Iran massed like 70,000 troops on the border with Afghanistan. They were ready to go. They were ready to end them. And the U.S. and the international community stepped in and were like, no, let's hold on. Let's, you know, let's stop the madness. Let's, let's think this through. And so they prevented what probably would have been Iran's problem, you know, going in and, and just cutting the Taliban completely. And then when we invaded, we took the opposite approach to the detriment of even going after Al-Qaeda. And what, you know, was reported at the time but swept under the rug and not really talked about anymore, the Taliban offered to give bin Laden up three times. First time they said, show us the evidence, we will, we will turn him over to any, any Muslim country, which included Jordan, Pakistan, Malaysia, Morocco, any country that we that, that any Muslim country they would have turned him over to, which basically the same difference is turning him over to the United States completely, right? So, but the administration said no. Then they came back a second time and said, okay, we don't need the evidence. Um, we'll we'll just turn him over to any Muslim country. Wow. And they said no. And the, the administration said no. And then the third time they said, we'll give him over to any country, not the United States, including Canada, Mexico, the UK, anybody. And we still said no. Uh, yeah, I don't understand that at all. Because he was a pain in their ass. Yeah. The Taliban, the, the whole reason the Taliban ever invited Al-Qaeda there in the first place is they thought that they were going to get the same treatment that Sudan got when Al-Qaeda was in Sudan in the early 90s. They thought they were going to bring capital investment, development, because Bin Laden was, was a fairly wealthy person. But by the time he got to Afghanistan, the well was dry, he had nothing left. Well, that's because the families had found him. Right. So he had no money to his name. <clears throat> All the stuff that they thought they were going to get out of the deal was not there. They couldn't kick him out on their own because it would be dishonorable to kick out a guest that you invited. <coughs> so instead of being sort of cognizant of that and the cultural nature of the fact that they just can't kick the guy out, we decided that war would be a better solution than a negotiated turnover. Which goes to my point is that we never understood their culture in the first place, so we set ourselves up for it. Yeah. And then all the, I hate to call them sob stories, but they are, kind of, because, you know, all what the women and children and... situation in Afghanistan, even when the U.S. was there, was not very good for women and children either. There were a lot of pieces of shit that were local warlords who were worse than the Taliban in some cases that we empowered because they weren't the Taliban. You know, people who would kidnap kids and child rapists and just wanton psychopaths. You know, I mean... Yeah, well, we... So, I mean, that's why, you know, it, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, the Taliban's bad, but it's not like... It's not like you were walking around in Paris prior to 
two weeks ago. Yeah. And yeah. Kabul was pretty much a pretty metropolitan place anyway, wasn't it? Not since the 70s. Well, in the 60s it was pretty... Yeah. It was like a destination point. Yeah, because the king, he wanted to modernize. Then he goes and gets eye surgery in Italy. His cousin stages a coup, and then the rest is history. History. And you get 40 years of warfare. Wow. They wanted... He actually returned the king... I guess in 02 or 03, he returned to Afghanistan. And there was a, a big popular, the, the National Assembly or whatever their Congress is called, they wanted to name him king. They wanted to say, let's go back to the monarchy. It's the last time we ever had any kind of peace or stability here. Let's just do that. And the U.S. stepped in and said, nope, Hamid Karzai is the guy. Didn't they name the airport after him? Yeah. I'm sure that'll be renamed very quickly. Maybe they'll re rename it Reagan National. <laughs> Bush National. <laughs> no, because Reagan is the guy who first got the U.S. involved, really, yeah, right? Yeah. Him and Carter. Yeah. Reagan, for sure. <clears throat> but but anyway, no, I mean, you know. The U.S. stepped in and said, no, it's going to be Har Hamid Karzai. Because Hamid Karzai was the guy they knew they could control. But Karzai turned out to have skeletons of his own. No, Tariq Ali calls it, called him the mayor of Kabul. Because that's all he really was. He didn't really have any kind of influence outside of Kabul. Yeah. Whatever happened to him? Got to if he was smart, he probably has a a nice villa in Potomac, Maryland, somewhere, and hanging out with the Shaw's kid. Didn't they want to bring him back? Bring him back to do what? I don't know. What's he gonna do? <laughs> so he wanted to come back after after him fell. If he was smart, he wouldn't come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, just like with, um, just like with uh, uh, Hadi in Yemen. I'm, you know, if I were in his shoes, I'd cash in my chips now. I'd be like, hey, I'm never going to come back and be the president. Yeah, the, the people in the South don't like me. The people, the people in the North don't like me. The only people who like me is the Saudis, and that's because I'm a convenient puppet for now. But, I, you know, I don't know how long that's going to last. So I might as well just, you know, go to the Americans and say, look. I want out. Give me a give me the, the the Shaw's treatment. I'll just go to Potomac, Maryland, to hang out in the villa, and uh, you know go hang out with the with those people. Yeah, I'll be. Uh, I'll, I'll go to Lansdowne. Yeah. I mean, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ashraf Ghani, who left, the current sort of president, I guess. He saw the handwriting on the wall. He knew he He left. He took 160 million dollars with him on his way out. Yeah. See, he knew the story. He knew what when to when to when to hold him and when to fold him. Yeah, he, he knew Ken Ken Rogers' song. Yeah, he, he knew it, and can't blame him at all. I, I'd do the same thing. Yeah, because he knew he stuck around. He had the example of the other guy who stuck around. Yeah. He was strung up. 
even the guys who were smart, like in, in Yemen, Abdullah Saleh, I mean, he was a smart, politically adept guy who knew how to play factions off each other and all that stuff. Eventually, the music music stopped for him, too. I just go back to that the United States does not know how to play the game. Well, they're playing it differently. They're playing it differently because their, their empire is not overt control. It's, let's dot a bunch of bases and military installations around the world and try to exercise influence that way. For self-determination, but we'll be in charge. Right, I mean, we, we just, you know, <clears throat> we extend our military shield and tell people, you know, the nuclear shield, and tell people to get behind it, and we'll protect it. That's that's basically the uh, the deal. And I, people who either feel like they have nothing to lose, like in Afghanistan, what are you going to do? Reduce it to rubble? It's already rubble. You know, the the, the, the threat the threat to, to uh, return them to the Stone Age is empty because they're already in it. Well, they never. They, they ne yeah, they weren't. They were already in the Stone Age. What yeah. are you going to do? You know, so people who have nothing to lose, or people who feel like, you know what, we're just going to develop our own nuclear weapons. Well, pretend that we have our own nuclear weapon, hope we don't, we don't call it a bluff. Like Saddam Hussein. Yeah, pretty much. Because once big people figure out you don't have, you, you, don't, you don't have anything to get into the game. Yeah. If he would have had him, he would have used him when they invaded. He would have used him when they bombed him in the 90s. So, I just struck off that he had the experience of Vietnam when we pulled out basically like that, even though they had long, for whatever reason, they had uh, the South Vietnamese Army uh, stayed in the game longer. But it, it was a civil war to begin with. Yeah. And that's what Afghan was. Afghanistan is a civil war. Yeah. Only a much longer one, and it's, you know... More pieces. More pieces. The, more pieces, and it's, you know... I mean, it's a, it's, it's a very tribal, almost feudal society in some ways. In an era when there's nation-states. Right? But... Yeah. But... Well, I was going to say that that's what struck me when I saw pictures of, of Yemen. And they all had daggers in there. Yeah. But the daggers showed membership to a particular, the way the... the a lot of them do, yeah. Yeah, but they're also just kind of ceremonial people. They very rarely use them. They usually just use them in, in celebrations and, you know, ceremonies and that kind of stuff. But... You know, I mean, how do you how do you define a nation? Like nations came about, you know, in the 19th century when you were transitioning away from a more feudal society. And so, you know, with Afghanistan, they never really had that transition of like saying, "Hey, I'm." a member of Afghanistan instead of 
a member of a particular tribe or ethnic group. You know? Sometimes I think the United States has this attitude that we were we were one time a colonial state. Then we became the colonizers. Yeah. We we know we have we, we know what it's like to transition from a colony to a superpower. Yeah, you find a minority to oppress and you do it repeatedly. Better if you have multiple minorities to oppress. Talk about the um, do more of the local level. Assembly of Virginia passed a legislation mandating transgender rights. And every county had to come up with a policy to recognize transgender rights. And the rights that be called by their um, chosen name. Right. And to be identified by their gender. Right. Or if they didn't, then they would be subject, they would have the protections of, of legal protections that the state would offer. What kind of legal protections are we talking about? Well, like, um, like if someone decided to sue the, the the local board of education for discrimination. Yeah. And so if they didn't have this policy in effect, they'd be open to liability being sued and the state would not wouldn't offer, I guess, financial resources to fight off the legal repercussions. Well, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm confused as to what, like, what is this policy effect? Who, where is this? Like, is this for schools? Is this for the county? For schools. So is this for students, for employees? For I would imagine for teachers too. So what's the what's the argument that if a, well, if, a if a guy goes to school and his name is John, but he identifies as a girl and he wants to be called Joanna? that the school has a policy to call him Joanna and treat him as a girl? Yeah. Okay. And also protect him uh, against uh, bullying. Well, if you want protection from bullying, don't go to a public school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's... They don't protect anybody from bullying. Basically, it's, it's, it's making sure the school provides safe havens for people. Oh. Noble goal, but I doubt it will ever actually happen. So you got three teachers who are suing um, because they 
they don't think they should have to follow this these guidelines. What they want to continue calling John John? Yeah. I mean, and and, and because it goes against their religion. Well, Paul and I said, you know what? If you don't like where you, if you don't agree with the policies of your employer, you don't have to work there. Well, there's that, but also every every year there's always kids, you know, who have, you know, somebody's named Jonathan. They want to go by John or Johnny. Why are you going to be a dick and continue to call him Jonathan? You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't even have to be about transgenderism to just recognize that, hey, don't be a fucking dick. Well, you know what I mean? Like, if somebody wants to be called Joanna, let him call me Joanna. Like, who's it harming? Who's it harming? Well, according to these people, God God gave gave you the gender when you're born. That's what you so help me. I guess. I, I mean, guess. you can find to believe that. That's I don't care about that. But like, I think it goes because because if you. It's, if you admit that maybe, yeah, when you're born, maybe the wires got crossed, it goes against the infallibility of God. If God's perfect, he made you well, perfect. I mean, that's a, a theological question that's debatable, but as far as public schools go, like, why does that have anything to do with it? Like, you know, I mean, who, who cares? Like, somebody wants to be called a different name who, who gives a shit like you know what I mean like but, but it also comes down to bath, the bathroom issue you know we're going to have guys who want to be girls going to the girls bathroom they let lesbians go to the girls bathroom don't they yeah so what's the difference I mean unless you're going to have a check I mean look if somebody's being a creeper in the bathroom they're being a creeper in the bathroom doesn't matter if they're a man woman that, that's a that's a alien somebody from the planet you know, Fafluka, who, who gives a shit? Like, that that's a different issue right there. I mean, if, if, if they are creeping and they go to the girls' bathroom creeping up to, to get their jolly, that's a, that's a different issue. That's a, a sex crime. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, what goes on in the women's bathroom? I've never been in one, but, you know, is it something that goes on in there that's they all have stalls. It's not like the men's bathroom where you have the Urinal. the urinals. Who cares? The whole thing is all creepy anyway. I mean, you have these kids that are conditioned from kindergarten to 12th grade that they got to raise their hand when they need to go to the bathroom. And, uh, you know, don't talk unless you're talking. It's very, like, prison-esque in a way, the way that they treat these kids. But, you know, of course that's fine because it's all for your personal glorification or whatever. I went to school. Granted, this wasn't on anybody's radar back then, but it wasn't an issue back then. Well, I mean, I just don't see how it's logistically any different than dealing with lesbians and gays. Yeah. Because next year you'd be like saying, oh, you get, you're gay, you can't go to the men's room because... Yeah, we have a special bathroom for gays. Yeah. Right? Like, how would that go over? Probably yeah. not very well. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you 
But, you know, you go to the bathroom, they might convince your, your child to become gay, which everybody knows you were born that way or not. Exactly. But, you know, yeah, I don't understand this. It seems like that there are legitimate issues with, like, you know, transitioning, like, surgically or chemically. Um, at such a young age, because you don't know if people, you know, is, is it a fad or is it real authentic? Like, it's a legitimate question. I don't know what the answer to that is. I think the best, the best answer is to let the parents decide, honestly. Like, you don't have any other, there's no other way to decide that. Letting the state decide seems kind of even stupider. But yeah, this seems like much ado about nothing. If somebody wants to be called something, then let them be called something. Like, who cares? Well, it goes back to the... Everybody thinks they're doing the, looking after the best interest of somebody else. They know, they know well, I mean, like, for you. Like, um... Suk Winder, who we knew growing up here, when we were in middle school, he, he, um, he changed when we went to high school, but in middle school, he preferred to be called Robert. Because he thought it was an easier name for people to, to pronounce. It just made him feel more Americanized, all the stuff. And teachers have an issue with that. Like, like I get it. You're like, well, we got to call him by his, you know, name his parents picked that he had no choice in whatsoever. Well, here's an example for you. Uh, you you went to school and the teacher says, uh, you want to call it Andy? And now you're like, no, it's Andrew. Or Drew. Yeah, that's what I preferred to be go, to go by. Somebody wanted to be a dick and call me something else. Like, why you got to be a dick? Yeah, you have all the power over these kids. You have unlimited, essentially, power over kids. In school. In, in school, why do you have to exercise an extra unlimited power? I don't understand the transition, the, the, the trans issues because I'm not trans, so I, you know, but it just seems to me fairly straightforward if somebody says, hey, I prefer to be called X and not Y, okay. I mean, I think the other question, the other thing people have with you is that if a guy transitions to a girl and competes in girl sports, he has an unfair advantage. Well, but, he does, but... But hasn't been proven yet, because in the Olympics... They had a first guy who transitioned to a girl, and he. Well, yeah, I he mean, didn't even make it out of out of. Uh, yeah, his... yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine though, you know, in general, not every single particular thing, but in general, yeah, I would imagine being a guy has an advantage in athletic competition, but there are women who are born with, you know, extra levels of testosterone. They're banned from competing. Sometimes, but but in high school they don't test your testosterone levels. Right. But in high the, school, but like, what if you're just you're a woman? You've always been a woman. You were born a woman. You've got the right anatomical parts, but you just have extra testosterone for whatever reason. You have an advantage. Nobody's going to stop you from competing. Back in the 70s, there was a tennis player, her name was Renee Richards, 
who transitioned from a guy to a girl. And he went on a professional tennis uh, tour. Granted, he was in his late 30s when he turned professional, so he didn't have the advantage of the age, but he didn't map to anything. He was more of a showpiece. I just think this is a this is not an issue until it becomes an issue. You know, I mean, like, yeah, it's not an issue until it becomes one. If if if, if it starts, you know, risking people's uh, scholarships or something, then we can have a conversation. But I think it's just a bunch of crap. You know. Um I had a train of thought, and I lost. Oh, so, I know. We only have two minutes left, so it better be a quick thought. I was going to say, cigar we're cooking tonight with. Once you got over the initial toughness of the draw, it was a pretty good smoke. Yeah. Once you, once you did committed surgery on it against its wishes. Yeah. Didn't really consent. Consent. <laughs> it was a pretty good smoke. Yeah. Well, what is this with smoking again? This is Davidoff Late Hour. Because we're both more of a fan of the uh, <clears throat> fuller body. Some people prefer light bodies. Some people prefer full bodies. <clears throat> we just happen to be people that prefer uh, full bodies. Yeah. But it's a nice smoke. Once you, got, once you did your, your surgery on it, against his consent, it was a good smoke. Well, well played. Any uh, final thoughts as we wrap up for this week? Yeah, this is, uh, we have all these lessons from history yet we never seem to learn from them. Yep. Well, on that note, frequent theme here. And we'll see you until next time.